Hey, it's John from CityCast. If you're in the mood to pamper yourself a little bit this week while supporting cruelty-free products, you should check out Bone Cur Home and Wellness. It's the best place in Portland to find everything from chic home decor to cannabis accessories. They've got a curated collection of vegan and cruelty-free home goods and wellness products because their name is French for kind heart, after all. You'll get a 20% discount on your first order when you sign up for emails this week at boncoeur.net. That's B-O-N-C-O-E-U-R.net. And use the code BONCOEURCITYCAST20. Today on CityCast Portland, we're talking about what the county audit of the city and county's Joint Office of Homeless Services uncovered. And we're also looking into Mayor Ted Wheeler's big asks at Governor Tina Kotek's downtown revitalization task force meeting. Joining me today on this week's News Roundup are KBU News Director Althea Billings and our very own lead producer, John Atariani. It's Friday, August 25th. I'm Claudia Meza. And this is what Portland's talking about. Althea, John, welcome to another Friday Roundup. Hey. Hi. (laughs) It's so nice to have you back, Althea. Happy to be here. Before we start uh, talking about the news of the week, I wanted to ask you guys a question, but it's based on an email that we got from a listener. If you guys are cool with it, I'm just going to quickly read this little email here. So a listener (laughs) um, wrote, disappointed in Michael Russell. Now that's the Oregonian uh, restaurant critic that we usually have on to talk about food. So she wrote, disappointed in Michael Russell, bad mouthing the Indian pizza place because he assumes their chef isn't from fine dining. Who cares? I'm sure there are some ex-pizza hook cooks killing it out there. The only pizza metric is deliciousness. Enjoying the show other than that. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know if you heard that. I don't know if you heard that uh, episode with Michael, but we were talking about all of the new pizzerias that are opening up that have more international roots. Yeah, all I remember is him deeply criticizing my heritage of Detroit pizza parlors <laughs> in, in very aggressive tones that I'm still mad about. Mm. <laughs> that's frankly, that's all I remember as well. I was like, wait, India was in there? I don't know. <laughs> I just remember him body bagging John. Okay, so this is what I was gonna ask you guys. So I've I've been on a mission for really good pizza. And here's the deal: I'm spoiled. I have Gracie's in my neighborhood. But after a while, you want to try other stuff, you know? And I, every time I, a new place opens, which is like, I swear, every every day we get a new pizzeria here in Portland. Um, I, I like to check it out, see what's what it's all about. Um, but I'd love to hear what your favorite pizza places are. Okay. I think that there's a lot of variability and there's a lot of ways that pizza can be good. And mm-hmm. I'd rather talk about my favorite Portland pizza experience, which is not okay. necessarily the best pizza. When I moved to Portland in 2015, I had a couple friends that were already here and lived in town. And as I showed up after driving across the country, they met me on their porch with a giant pepperoni pizza from Sparky's. Do you know Sparky's? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sparky's is solid. Yeah. It's like solid. It's like, you know, it is it is not mm. fine dining pizza, but it was like I'd been driving all day and they met me with on the porch with this Sparky's pizza. And I like now lived in Portland and sat on the porch and ate this Sparky's pepperoni pizza. That is my favorite Portland pizza experience. Althea, could you give me your favorite pizza? 
yeah, last summer I sort of endeavored to go on what I called a pizza quest where I was Same. trying to yeah. eat all of the different pizzas to either <laughs> confirm or deny that my preferences were correct. And I really do believe that there are different pizzas for different occasions. Cheap yes. pizza, pizza that's nearby to where you work, mm-hmm. pizza that is, uh, I, I mean, I'm not really a fine dining pizza person. I enjoy ranch and I believe that's Detroit style. So maybe uh, I'm, I love ranch. Oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm running afoul of the Oregonian critic as well, but <laughs> I love ranch, man. When the pepperonis are little and they turn into like a little cup of hot oil. I love that. Little grease cup. Yes. <laughs> um, John, I want you to know that I had a friend who was really particular about his health regimen mm-hmm. and his ritual every day that he got to like enjoy life for a second was a slice of Sparky's pizza. So I feel like yeah. it's not just you where Sparky's has a special place in that heart. Just FYI. Mm. Mm-hmm. Pizza of the heart. Pizza of the heart. Free slogan if they want it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, I, I'm still looking. I have, I do have favorite pizza places, but I'm, I'm trying to find my holy grail. That's where I'm at right now. So maybe mm. one day I'll, I'll come back, John, and I'll be like, it's this one, you know. Yeah. But I'm, I'm on a quest. And you know, Claudia, maybe the journey is the destination. Oh, it definitely is, John. <laughs> <laughs> one day I'll tell you about my taco journey of Ensenada, but that's for another show. <laughs> oh, can't wait. <laughs> Elfia, why don't you start us off today? What is your headline? of the week? Well, it's sort of a menagerie of headlines because a pretty gnarly audit of the Joint Office of Homeless Services came out this week from Multnomah County Auditor Jennifer McGurk. It's not especially flattering, I will say. Uh, Some of the top line stuff that they found is poor contract management. Contractors are a big part of the Joint Office that's kind of the the partnership between the county and the city. And most of the stuff that they do is actually facilitating nonprofit contractors to do the work. They're not managing their contracts very well. People are being asked to do work without a contract before their contract is signed, uh, paid late. There was an example, I think, from KGW that talked about a $300,000 invoice that was held up over like a dispute over a $25 charge, which is pretty Pretty wild. But yeah, poor communication. Their data collection is another one of these big ones. Uh, The county auditor released the report without having the numbers on housing placement because they couldn't find it. And she was like, I found enough other really important (laughs) stuff that I will deal with that later. But uh, there's there's a lot of stuff. Uh, A lot of critics of the joint office um, are are validated by this kind of like survey and interview results. Oh my gosh. From the reporting, I just want to underline that point one more time. The auditor basically said, well, I went in trying to figure out if they were inflating their numbers that they were reporting, and I couldn't really figure that out, so I'm going to come back to it. But in the meantime, here's all this other crap that I discovered that is really (laughs) screwed up. It's just like, oh my god. It's like the worst trip to the mechanic of all time, where they're like, well, I was going to check your brakes, but it uh, looks like we need to replace your engine, everything else. Yeah. We actually got to put this on bricks for a minute. I can't even get to the brakes yet. <laughs> oh, my God. That's actually a much better analogy. Yeah. So I noticed that something that kept coming up over and over again, Althea, you might uh, have also noticed this, where they keep talking about how heavily siloed. Yeah. This joint office is. So if you guys don't know, um, the joint office was created in 2016. So that's a that's a, like a long time ago. That's enough to, I don't know, like uh, s- smooth out any bumps in like how 
people are going to work together, you know? So it opened so it opened up in 2016 to centralize to centralize all of the funding, policy, planning, all that stuff, right? Between the city and the county so they could work better together. But um, not just contractors who are basically saying, hey, we never get paid, um, mm-hmm. have noted how heavily siloed everything is, but actual people who are using the services because the the joint office uh, controls not just housing, but like drug addiction, uh, just a bunch of stuff. And they're basically saying that people who are trying to enter the system, if they qualify for more, like let's say they're a vet who is also looking, uh, you know, for adult services that, you know, maybe also experience domestic violence. These are all things that are that are underneath this joint office. And they have to essentially interview three times hmm. to get those three separate services. So they basically have to go through all this trauma. They have to get interviewed. They have to fill out paperwork. They have to do all this stuff three times just to get all of this, like, funding. So a lot of people don't do it because they're just like, we, we, they barely had the wherewithal to get that one service in. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I don't know. That's what I was like, oh, this doesn't seem so uh, easy to navigate for the people who are working. And then the same thing for the contractors who are basically saying the exact same thing. Like, we don't, no one pays us. And now yeah. we, we, we can't, you know, actually do our job. Yeah. Part of the audit talked about how these nonprofit providers that the joint office relies on are barely able to provide a living wage this financial pressure of, and I think Jessica Vega-Peterson, the county chair, sort of proudly said that, oh, 80% of our contractors are paid on time. Actually, we knew all these problems were happening, (laughs) which is better than presumably whatever the number would have been, but 80% is still not great. There was stories about um, nonprofit providers having to take out a line of credit to float Mm -hmm. between getting paid out and having to pay interest on that, and that uh, the audit found that this kind of financial pressure means that you're having people that are having below a living wage. There's providers that aren't able to expand their staff, even if the need is there, if the desire is there. And it contributes to the issue of employee burnout, which is, you know, there's there's all this need and supposedly all this money going out into this, trying to fix this problem. And people aren't making a living wage and are burning out quick because of the bureaucratic tangle, which makes it sound like your headphone cords, <laughs> it feels a little, <laughs> a little more extreme than that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, another thing I was looking at, uh, Althea, is that it's not just that they're not getting paid; they're not getting paid enough. And they're basically saying that the joint office contracts aren't paying their contract employees a livable wage, which I think you might have stated. But the county responded with, "Hey, we're going to increase that in 2024. We're going to do like a cost of living increase." But but most of the providers are just like, just FYI, that's not going to be enough. Mm. And I just hope that that is addressed rather than get to 2024 for the county to be told, by the way, as we told you, that wasn't enough. And for them to be like, oh, let's do another one, you know? Yeah. <laughs> just how about you pay the people, <laughs> you know, like, let's go, you know? I don't know. Yeah. Sorry. I'm, I'm. It gets me upset when it's like siloed administrative nonsense, like bureaucratic nonsense. There's nothing that gets me more upset. If I have to fill out two forms... It gets me so I get so mad. <laughs> <laughs> and something else that I saw that was interesting was just the different perspectives on how this is going. Um, you know, of of who thinks this is working versus who it's not. Like when asked about clear goals, the providers about you know forty percent said that they're good or very good at understanding what the goals are, whereas forty percent said they're poor or very poor. So like half the providers are like this is working, half of them are like this is not. 
But then when you talk to people in the joint office staff, those numbers are like way different. Way more of the office staff, like 60% of people who work there are like, yeah, it's going great. Whereas only 18% say it's poor. So like what that says Mm. to me is that the people who are administering this for the most part are sort of like, yeah, we're doing a good job. But then when you turn to the providers that are actually the ones on the ground floor, they're saying, no, this is not working (laughs) nearly as well as we needed to. Yeah. Another thing that they pointed to and that the county chair, uh, Vega Peterson, has said is that it's this sort of like explosion in size. In 2019, I believe they had 27 staffers at the joint office. And 2023, they've got 99 employees. And in that time, they've had four different directors. So like a crisis of leadership, mm-hmm. which I buy to a certain extent, but it seems like there ought to be enough foundation to pay people on time at the very least. Um, even if, you know, you're dealing with uh, a new head honcho pretty frequently. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I just hope that uh, Mike Myers, who's currently unifying all of the city's emergency response under one administrative roof, is taking note because <laughs> being siloed yeah. isn't going to work. Mm-hmm. That's not a collaborative spirit. That's just uh, yeah. sharing a roof. Yeah. Before we move on, Althea, do you have anything else? Any final notes? Well, I just wanted to point to where it's going next, which is that the contract between Portland and the joint office is supposed to be renewed in December. And so city leaders who have you know, been kind of critical have definitely been um, on them about not spending the money. Some of this is probably going to come to a head in December when it's decided if they're going to renew the contract or not. Mm-hmm. What's your take, Althea? Do you think they're going to renew the contract? I'm skeptical if they will, because they've been making noise about not doing it. And I think that if they wanted to, they could say that, hey, the whole city administration is getting reorganized from Measure 26228. Maybe we can actually handle this on our own now. Mm-hmm. We'll see if I'm right. I don't know. <laughs> if I really knew, then I wouldn't be doing this. <laughs> really? You'd just, be, you'd just be buying lottery tickets. <laughs> I'd be buying lottery tickets. I'd be sort of standing on a street corner. Uh, the Portland Nostradamus with with everything that's coming. <laughs> Guys, they're not going to do it or they are going to do it. Freak out or don't. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, well, let's take a quick break here. And when we come back, more headlines of the week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Well, John, what is your headline of the week? Yeah. um, Speaking of uh, the complexity of large organizations and multiple stakeholders, uh, Governor Tina Kotek uh, kicked off her downtown revitalization task force this week. This was an idea that came up a couple weeks ago. Basically, Kotek was like, all right, Portland, y'all need help. We're going to pull together a bunch of people and try and fix what's going on there. So it's a group of about 45-ish people, um, a number of local political leaders, uh, a number of like business owners and sort of nonprofit uh, folks are in this group. Um, A dude from the Tillamook County Creamery Association is on the task force, which I thought was an interesting addition. Uh, (laughs) 
But yeah, the whole idea is that they're getting these people together to try and fix a number of issues that the downtown Portland is facing right now. Um, They're basically looking at five main things, what they're calling the central city value proposition, livable neighborhoods, community safety, housing and homelessness, and taxes for services, Um, which seems like a good, good idea. But again, lots of stakeholders. Ted Wheeler, the mayor, came in and he was like, let me tell you what I need. He put in <laughs> like a dozen proposals, is asking for $250 million in funding from the state. One of the big things was that he asked uh, private employers to bring workers back at least half time starting next year. He says this is something that the city really, really needs, um, which makes sense. I mean, you walk around downtown, there's a ton of vacancy of offices. I mean, it does feel different. And I think a lot of that is just people who are still working remote. Um, Well, the co-chair of this task force is Dan McMillan. He works for Standard, The Standard. He's kind of an insurance head honcho. He's not into that idea. He's like, well, I I don't know that we need to bring people back downtown. So already at the first meeting, we're seeing this conflict between the mayor of Portland and the co-chair of this task force because it just turns out they have different perspectives and different have different ideas of what their people need in order to be successful. Yeah. You know, John, I was looking into this as well, as you know, and so it's 46 members exactly, which is crazy because that's too many mem- members, one. That's just like so many people, <laughs> right? But I've seen three different numbers. The Willamette Week said 47. Uh, I think OPB said 46. That's why I went with 45-ish. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let, let's go something like 40-ish, right? And I just want to double down what John said. Like, this isn't just like, oh, just, you know, business owners downtown. Ron Wyden is in there, like Congressman yeah. Blumenauer, yeah. Congressman Bonamici, like their state reps, a bunch of big name local officials, like uh, the head of the counties there, everyone. It's like a stacked deck. But the co-chair is this Dan McMillan. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering why he was a co-chair. But d- did you guys know he owns a skyscraper? Like he owns that building that... <laughs> that He owns that building downtown that uh, that everyone's like, hey, wouldn't it be cool if you get all your, your people back in? And he's just like, no, man. It's awesome. I don't have to spend as much money on electricity and stuff. Anyhow, all I, all this to say, there's no way that Dan McMillan doesn't have a top hat and a monocle. Sorry. <laughs> what would you do with a like slightly abandoned skyscraper? Like if you were the sort of person that owned a like partially abandoned skyscraper, like what would you put in it? <laughs> I know. Well, this is the research I did for your headline, John. Did you know that the Monopoly character actually has a name? His name is <laughs> Milburn Pennybags. What? <laughs> yes, that is the I think name. he's on the task force. Yeah, I think Milburn is on the task force. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I think he's the 47th <laughs> member on the task force is Milbourne Pennybags. I think that's why people keep like, he just keeps going to jail and then coming back and going to jail, coming back. And I think people are just like, that's why it's 45, 46, 47. We don't know. But yeah, anyhow, I just love that the pressure was thrown his way, like Dan McMillan's way. And uh, like he was going to save downtown. What an incredible title. Noted skyscraper owner. <laughs> like Dan McMillan <laughs> says, I'm good on the on the remote work stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's so interesting. And even that number of people getting together to solve any kind of problem feels... Mm-hmm. I mean, look, I wouldn't want to be the facilitator. I wouldn't... <laughs> I'll take notes. You know what I'm saying? I don't yeah. want to be the one trying to organize all of it. And I'm mm-hmm. definitely, you know, 
even even after all this time, people still don't really want to work from the office. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's a coalition like it is a heavy hitter coalition of the people who are important and influential in our state. But there's just so many cross purposes here, right? Like, it's hard for me to see what the common goal between Central City Concern and the Standard and the Tillamook County Creamery Association is going to be. And like, (laughs) it's just really hard to imagine that all of these people are going to be able to sort of come to a unified vision of what needs to happen downtown because, um, you know, I mean, and then the mayor is already sort of butting up against it as well, um, sort of to, to my read bristling against the governor's intervention um, and being like, fine, you want to fix downtown? We need $250 million, which I think is sort of a non-starter <laughs> as a proposal, but, uh, you know, again, shows that like what the governor needs is not necessarily what, uh, the mayor needs is not necessarily what all these other organizations need. In Wheeler's defense, <laughs> he's not just asking for people to go downtown and, you know, and and start working there as well. But he himself, as you guys know, he forced city employees to go back. So he really is, I think he's just like, this is what I'm doing. Does everyone want to do it with me? <laughs> I think that's, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? He's like, it's working. The sandwich shop is now getting business. But I really feel like, Something Tina Kotek said that I thought was really interesting was she basically said, um, after the pandemic, everything changed. And us trying to fix the thing that it was before the pandemic is where we're going to like lose. That's not a, a good way to fix a problem because it's now a new problem. And so she's quoted as basically stating like, what we need is for downtown to shift from a neighborhood dominated by office buildings to a place where more people live. And I feel like... Mm-hmm. That's what we need is like, what if all those, I mean, and I know that, uh, that Mayor Wheeler has also asked for some of that funding is to convert, yeah. um, mm-hmm. yeah, some of those offices into apartments. But I feel like if all of that effort was just pushed into making downtown into a 15 minute neighborhood, and you guys know what I mean by a 15 minute neighborhood. For sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where everything mm-hmm. that you possibly need to exist is 15 minutes around you. I feel like office workers will naturally come back. If they want to go, you know, why would you want to go to work downtown if there's nothing there for you? And like if there was more affordable or somewhat affordable housing downtown, I think that that would make going into the office two days a week a lot more appealing as well. Exactly. You know, I don't fault anybody for being like, nah, I'll, I'll pass on going back to that lifestyle. But if there was like way more livable neighborhoods downtown, I think that that actually does get closer to what everybody needs. Yeah. It feels weird to cast like workers downtown as like economic saviors as well. Exactly. It's like, why do I need to come downtown? Oh, to keep the economy alive? That feels like a lot to put on somebody's shoulders. <laughs> so I can eat at pot belly three days a yeah. week? Like, yeah. forget that. <laughs> so I can feed the meter? You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. Um, but what you were saying about livable neighborhoods, I think that, you know, investing in you know, converting some of this office space makes a lot of sense because also to think about some of the reasons that people like working from home, it's like, I can have laundry going, you know, like I I can pop out, you know, after my meeting to go pick my kid up from daycare and I'm not having to totally, you know, reset my entire situation. And if there was like the 15 minute city that you're talking about, Claudia, I think that that is something that dovetails well with all of those factors and the things that people value more since the pandemic because they haven't had to, you know, deal with commuting as much. 
Yeah, well, I mean, you know, there was an eight-page proposal from Wheeler. This is just like one of the things that he is putting in front of this committee. Um, and, you know, we're there's a lot more on the table here, which we're going to keep talking about. But I think that this is oh, yeah. a, 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 an especially interesting question. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for, for that, John. That was actually really fun to uh, dive into. My headline, uh, John, actually is uh, related to yours. It's another ask that Mayor Ted Wheeler had at this task force. I'm sure he, again, I'm sure he had like 12 or 15. We're just talking about two of them. Um, so Mayor Ted Wheeler asked for nearly 100 state troopers to help Portland police. And he, not only is he requesting support, he, he went as far as suggesting that OSP open up a branch downtown. So troopers... Mm -hmm. Uh, would help Portland deal with violent crime, property theft, enforcing traffic laws, hate crimes. But I also read in other reports that he also was like picking up trash, graffiti, basically just like all the things that the Portland police officers aren't doing. Mm -hmm. You know, and I understand they're understaffed, but like these are all their jobs as well. Anyhow, that's what the, he's asking for. But he's also, and this is this is this is like check this shit out. Wheeler is also asking for increased federal law enforcement presence in the city. Now, how do you think our citizens are going to take that oh. after all the federal officers that were like yoinking people off the street during the protests and unmarked vans? What a, what a difference three years makes. I know. So <laughs> according to the American Civil Liberties Union, this isn't just me saying, they were these people were essentially kidnapped <laughs> and held without charges. So there's a bit of history there between us and federal officers just coming downtown. And I'm guessing there'll be pushback there. Uh, but the acting U.S. Marshal of Oregon was already saying they're committed to helping Wheeler, so. And I seem to remember a Mayor Ted Wheeler in 2020 speaking very forcefully against federal in interventions in Portland. Uh, I mean, I know that yeah. this is sort of a different situation and like a different presidency, but aye, 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 yeah. So what do you guys think of this idea? I was uh, looking at this as well. And seeing what proportion, I mean, I think Wheeler specifically said like 96, but like 100 state troopers is like a fifth of their workforce to just to deal with downtown. Like, that's wild. And they're already <laughs> saying that they're like, we can't even technically be policing all of the state roads that we're supposed to be watching for people yeah. speeding on. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually jumped out and, and got some numbers. So, like, check it out. Uh, there's 291 patrol officers staffed in Portland right now. Um, the state has 480 officers which means not that many <laughs> this this like if this were to happen which i don't think is going to happen that would mean that there are more police in portland than state officers on the road in the rest of the state um and the city of portland has 78 vacancies right now <laughs> so if we need 100 people like again you can't just like magically make police officers appear and get them on the streets there's a long sort of lead process for background checks and uh, training at the academy and everything. But, you know, if we have 78 vac vacancies, that could go a long way towards filling these 100 slots that the mayor is asking for from the state. Yeah. And just to touch on what Althea also said, um, state troopers have been like continually just stating, hey, we're understaffed, right? So, and same, a very similar thing, John, where they basically also have like 86 vacant positions. Funded, mm -hmm. fully funded, just waiting. So I don't know. 
obviously there wasn't a state trooper there to, you know, high up to give uh, any feedback. But and I got this article just so you know, I'm reading most of this from this article that Dirk Vanderhart um, from OPB wrote. And uh, he inferred that it wasn't going to fly with the state troopers. He was just like, yeah, that's not going to happen. There's just no way they're going to give mm-hmm. up for all the reasons you just said, John, for all the reasons you just said, Althea. Um, but some are already talking a lot of shit about this plan. So an attorney with Oregon Justice Resource Center com- commented that Wheeler's increased law enforcement plan is just Wheeler continuing to, and this is a quote here, oversimplify the complexity of the problems our community faces. I mean, I think that's nice. Uh, but those kinds of upstream investments to the issues we're seeing downtown do take time. So if like, I guess another, another uh, in Wheeler's defense here, <laughs> Um, why can't we do both? Like have more patrols so our local businesses aren't getting broken into. But I do wonder mm-hmm. how more officers will prevent people from still getting randomly attacked downtown. Like our homeless population or our, our homeless population from literally like dying on the street. Like that seems like larger problems, like a, a police officer, a state trooper, a federal agent can't stop from happening. It just seems like an uphill b- battle. Um, and it feels a lot like his ask is just like his skyscraper ask. Like, it's just like more police officers, more people, fix downtown, go. And it's like, yeah. you know, you know, that's not the thing. That's not the thing that's 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 breaking downtown right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and that's sort of how I read it, too. Like, does Ted Wheeler actually think that this proposal has any likelihood of actually happening? Like, I don't think so. I think that this is sort of political gamesmanship where he's just sort of, you know, the governor is coming in and saying, I'm the governor and I'm going to fix Portland. And I think that this is Ted Wheeler just sort of throwing out a sort of political challenge of being like, all right, you want to, you want to fix Portland? Mm. You want to fix Portland? Here's, here's what we need. Here's our, here's our ask list. You give us this, we'll fix Portland. Like beyond that, like stay off my turf, you know? Right. John, I didn't even think about it that way. John, I didn't, mm-hmm. but, but I wasn't thinking about it. Like how would, yeah. how would a person in his position react to someone like Governor Tina Kotek coming into their turf? And I didn't think about that because I just was like, yeah. well, everyone's mm-hmm. looking out for the best interests of Portland. It's like, no, you're right. This is totally a weird turf argument because his ideas are so ludicrous yeah it might be kind of a negotiation tactic exactly Uh, you you know because you kind of highball it you're like i'm gonna say i want 100 and i'll negotiate down to having 25 to do you know traffic patrols every thursday or something you know like you 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 try to you try to make yourself seem like you're asking for too much so you seem reasonable with what you get um but i did think it was funny one of the quotes from uh juan chavez that lawyer you were talking about he called it a deeply unserious response <laughs> from wheeler <laughs> sorry <laughs> which i just love the word unserious yeah you're being unserious right now <laughs> that's so like succession like you are not serious people yeah <laughs> brian cox to portland city government yeah yeah right. <laughs> basically <laughs> Um, But something that is making me hopeful about what's going on is that some of the quotes like from the co-chairs. So there's David McMillan, Uh a.k.a. uh, Milburn Pennybags. He was quoted as saying, you know, having a good foundation to make good decisions and really understand the situation that we're in is critical. But like, I feel like if this is where the task force is headed, where they're just they're listening to everyone, they're taking everything into account. Like I'm looking 
I'm looking forward to see, you know, what they come out. And I don't know if you guys uh, know, but, you know, of course, all of their findings are coming out, I think, in December. December 11th, yeah, at the Oregon Business Summit, which I think is also an interesting thing to take note of. Like, where is uh-huh. this report going? It's going to the Oregon Business Summit which um, take that for what it is. Yeah. I know. Well, it seems like the Oregon business community has is, is been the only people who have been pushing much of any movement of what's happening downtown. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. that whole task force that um, Mike Schmidt put together about, do you guys remember? Are you talking about like the, the auto and retail theft task force? Yeah, the auto and oh. theft retail. That was actually pushed by someone in the, or, in the Oregon business community. Hmm. So anyhow... Uh, Kotex said they were going to focus on some quick wins, but of course, uh, there was absolutely no specifics on what that would be. And she totally dodged. If you're wondering, like, what did Kotex say when Wheeler was like, hey, uh, we need 100, you know, you know, state troopers and all this. Basically, she dodged any comment on his proposal, um, but she also didn't say no. <laughs> and she was quoting as saying, I never rule anything out. Like, that is what... <laughs> she, so we don't know. It's good to know Tina considers every proposal, though. We should put in a proposal for, to Tina Kotek. What would you like to propose to Tina Kotek? I was going to say free popcorn downtown. Ooh. Everybody come back mm-hmm. to, to downtown. We have free popcorn. You know what? That sounds great. It works yeah. for Ace's hardware. She won't rule it out. <laughs> <laughs> is Ace hardware on the task force? <laughs> yeah. Ace hardware. <laughs> Why is Orville Redenbacher uh, on the <laughs> Does he have a monocle too? Yeah, free popcorn, everyone, come downtown. <laughs> I love this idea. I'd go. Well, uh, John, Althea, thank you so much for joining me today and for uh, for discussing your 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 favorite headlines of the week. Thanks for having me. It's always fun. Thanks, Claudia. That's all for today here on CityCast Portland. Thank you for listening. Our lead producer is John Atariani. Our audio producer is Julia Fioioni. Our newsletter editors this week are Adrian Gonzalez and Rachel Monahan. And our host is me, Claudia Meza. Original music by Jenny Conley and Stephen Drizos. Additional music by Epidemic Sound and All the Kimonos. We'll be back Monday morning with more from around the city. Until then, see you at Slim's.